Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. If you've spent any time in the Hebrew Scriptures, what Christians often refer to as the Older Covenant, then surely you've noticed all of the many names whereby God is called. The name of Elohim, which is Creator God. The name of yod Hey vav Hey, we call it the Tetragrammaton, the four-letter writing of the name of God. And that speaks to His covenant-keeping capacity and ability. You may have noticed so many ways by which God is called uh, in so many circumstances of the Old Testament. But you may also have noticed the lack of the name Father in the Hebrew Scriptures. There are a few references, but by and large, God was just called God and in a way, the I Am. Come to the New Testament and all of a sudden, for instance, in the Gospel of John, the word Father is almost on every page. It's almost on every word of Jesus' lips. Teach us to pray, Lord. And he would say, Our Father, which is in heaven. And Jesus introduces us to this tender, personal, familial dynamic between God and a man, a man and God. And you see this dynamic most beautifully in Jesus' walk with his father. As a man, as a child, as a son, he had this interaction not just with God, with I am, but with his father. And you see it most beautifully in John's Gospel. I call John's Gospel the Gospel of the Father because just about on every page, in every sentence, Jesus refers to his Father. Paul picks up on that, and in Romans 8 and in Galatians, he also says that we who are now the children of God, we who have been declared right and just, we who have been acquitted, We who have received the Holy Spirit, by that Spirit, we can now cry out, Abba, Father. Yes, we can say God. Yes, we can say I am. We can say Jesus, Yeshua, you are Adonai, you are Lord. But Paul says we can go even further. We can go even deeper. We are now the offspring of God. And we can now call him our dad, our Abba, our Father. And this is an issue, this is an aspect, this is a dynamic of the Christian life that I have thoroughly enjoyed, and how thankful I am that the Holy Spirit, ever since I received the Holy Spirit, also cried out from within me towards God, towards the I Am, Abba, Father. I uh, did not know my biological father all that well. 
him and my mother were not married for a long time, and I grew up rather separated from my biological father. I got to meet him when I was 16 years old, and uh, very shortly after that, he passed away. And I never got to know this man, so I could not, it was not easy to say to him, Father. I grew up with my stepfather, a man who provided for me and did his very best to care for me, but I never felt really accepted by my stepfather. Um, and by tradition, by the culture in South Africa that I grew up, I had to call him my father. But to be honest, it was difficult to call him father because somehow in the word father, there should be relationship. There should be the dynamic of intimacy and closeness. And I never felt that with my earthly biological father nor my stepfather. And so I, I did feel a little bit um, lost in the shuffle, if you will, until I met Jesus Christ, my Lord, until I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And just like Paul says here in Romans 8, verses 15, that we can now, by the Spirit, cry out, Abba, beloved, that happened to me the day that I met Jesus Christ as my Lord. Spontaneously, the Spirit from within witnessed into my being that I belong to God. And I am in relationship with Him. He's at peace with me. He loves me. He's adopted me. He's even begotten me of His own nature. I am His Son. And I've enjoyed this walk with God to the uttermost. In my prayer life, I worship Jesus. But when I come to call God, I, I don't call Him just God. I don't call Him just I am. Like Paul says in Romans 8, I call Him my Abba Father. In this message, I speak regarding this issue that for those of us born of God, we enter into an intimacy. We enter into a dynamic of father, son, son, and father, even as Christ went into that dynamic and in that relationship himself. We get to experience that as we also live and move and have our being in God. I do not know your earthly father situation. Maybe you do have a great relationship with your earthly papa. If you do not, beloved, you're in good company. Many of us have struggled with our earthly fathers. But fear not. While we have a lack in our earthly humanity, maybe, I tell you, in Christ, all that is made up by our Heavenly Father. Truly, when we pray, we can say, Our Father who is in heaven. That is, I'm your child. I look to you. You are my Abba. Beloved, I hope this message really encourages you that God is for you. And if an earthly father can take care of us, how much more our Heavenly Father. I hope you come into the enjoyment of this aspect of God as much as I have enjoyed it over the many, many years now of walking with Him.
In Romans chapter 8, there is a very interesting swap in the tone of Paul's writing. You may recall that in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3, um, Paul is very legal in his terminology when it comes to the righteousness of God and how a man is justified. In chapter 4, he uses the example of Abraham, how he was a man of faith and was justified, declared righteous strictly by his faith in God. In, in, in chapter 5, Paul talks again in sort of uh, high language of, a, of an Adam whose transgression passed on to all of mankind and how in the last Adam, his obedience and how his life can pass on to all of those who believe. And there's, there's a lot of legal terms even used in Romans chapter 6, how we ought to reckon ourselves dead and how we ought to know certain things, that we are dead and risen and how we ought to present. And you, you, you read Romans chapter 7, it's this tension between the things that I want to do and the things that I cannot do. And I don't know how to say it, but there's a tone to all of that that's legal, governmental, a lot of the word righteousness, a lot of the word sin, etc., etc. Even in the earlier portions here of Romans chapter 8, yeah, there's no condemnation because of the law of the spirit of life that set you free, etc., etc. Then all of a sudden, the tone just changes on a dime and he says that God can be now our Father, our Abba. And it's as though he swaps over from all of the legalities to make you now righteous. That is, all of the, 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 the things that have to happen to bring you into the house. And then he swaps over and he talks about this endearment, this loving interaction I can now have with God as father. I think of the prodigal. The prodigal son is that sinner. And as he now comes to the Father, there's a couple of legal things that happen there in Luke chapter 15. First of all, the Son is given a robe to make him presentable to come into the house again. The Son is given a ring to reestablish and reinstate his status as a, as a son, as a dignified person that is welcomed into this Father's house. And again, there with the prodigal story, he is now given these sandals. And it's almost as though the first part of the book of Romans deals with this robe that you have to receive and this ring that, that dignifies you again and these sandals that separate you from the world. But now, all of a sudden, the prodigal son is clothed. And now he is welcomed into the house where then the fatted calf is slaughtered and it's time to make uh, a celebration. This son who was lost has now been found. And it's like the book of Romans is a little bit like that. The first part is just all that it takes to bring you into the house. And then all of a sudden, boom! He pulls out of thin air this highly tender, endearing term, Abba Father. And now he will talk a little bit about how you and I are these children, these sons that can cry out 
no longer just my God, my Lord Jesus, my righteousness, my justification. Now we can cry out, God, you're my Papa. You're my dad. You are my Abba Father. So notice here as we read in Romans chapter 8, I want to pick up just a little bit here in verses 14 through verse 17. He says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery to bring you into the fear of God again, this phobia of God. But you've received the spirit of sonship. Your Bible may at times even use the word, you've received the spirit of adoption. And by that adoption coming into the house, we can now say and we can cry, Abba, Father. And there's that tender term that you don't find in the earlier portions of uh, the book of Romans. Again, it's almost as though the earlier portions is just dealing with all the legalities and the washing to declare you right, to qualify you to come into the Father's house. And now we're in the Father's house. We are the sons and daughters of God. So what do we do in the Father's house? All we do in the Father's house is we say, My Dad, my Father, my Abba. In verse 16, he says, The Spirit Himself witnesses, there's an agreement from the Spirit with our spirit that we are the children of God. So now I'm inside of the house. I have a robe on. I have a ring on. I have sandals on my feet. But inside I may be wondering, shoot, uh, uh, really, really is God okay with me? Really, really do I belong to Him? And here, Paul brings in again the Spirit of God, who does not only an external washing of me, but an internal witnessing. And within, the Spirit confirms and validates that, yeah, God approves of me. God loves me. I belong to God. I am a son and I'm a daughter. But not only that, verse 17 goes on. He says, now, if the Spirit witnesses that you are a child of God, then you're also now an heir. If you've been brought into the house and reinstated with that ring that has the seal of the Father's name on it, now that you're in the house, you're more than just a son. You are actually an heir, a recipient of all that the Father has. Huh. He says we are heirs. On the one hand, we are heirs of God. We are going to inherit the riches of God somehow. He says, on the other hand, we are also joint heirs, co-heirs with Christ. We inherit all that Christ accomplished. All that the Father is becomes ours. All that the Son accomplished becomes ours. If indeed we suffer with Him so that we can be glorified with Him. So these portions are so tender, uh, it changes the tone so drastically. Again, I would encourage you to read the entire book from chapter 1 through 8, all in one setting, and you'll, you'll, you'll see the tone. It changes radically. And here the tone is intimacy. 
There's a tenderness in the overtone of it. And it's as though we swap over from just a court with a legal trial, and it's as though we come into a household of celebration and feasting and inheritance. So I want to take you through this uh, just a little bit. Look back at verse 15. He says, you know, in the beginning portions of Romans 8, that the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. There's, there's no more condemnation. The righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled. So now he says, now that all the legal things are over and done, what is your condition as a, as a believer? And he points out here, the first thing is that this issue of slavery, this issue of a life of bondage is over with. See, when I was a prodigal back there in Paganville or Sinville, if you will, really, according to my judgment, I was free. But according to the eternal economy of God and the purposes of God, I was in utter bondage. Except I was a doofus. I was deceived. I could not see. And it says in Luke 15 of the prodigal that when he came to his senses. So we know that while he was in harlotry and in debauchery and in lascivious, licentious hedonism, that he was out of his mind. He was duped. He was deceived. He thought he was perfectly free. But uh, freedom really is only in the house of the Father. And there, his so-called uh, currency uh, ran out. He ran out on money, and he ran out on pleasure, and he ran out on friends, and it landed him in the pig pen. And no doubt he was a slave. He lived with the pigs. He was a slave of somebody else. And here Paul comes down and he says, Now that I am in the new covenant, and the legal transactions has been fulfilled. What is my condition now before God? It is one of freedom. It is one of freedom. I find it so interesting that many of us often are believers in Jesus. We say, yes, I believe that Jesus is my Lord. But many of us still live in the pig pen. We've not accepted the robe. We've not accepted really the ring and the sandals that qualifies me to come into the house. And so I've noticed so many of us, we are just, in a way, in slavery. We feel like we owe God something. Just like that prodigal, he came back to God, let's say the father, and he said, you know what, I'm not, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I, 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 I'd just be so happy if I could be a slave. And he had this slave mindset. And the father said, no, not at all will you be my slave. You're my son. You're my kind. You're of my nature. I'm your papa. You're not my slave. And here Paul says, this, this issue of slavery is done with. I don't have to earn favor with God. Prove myself to God. Oh, this is wonderful. The second thing I need you to notice here, in verse 15 he says, You are free. Where slavery, 
you know, puts you in bondage. And then this bondage causes you to fear God. And here the fear is not respect God, honor God, uh, worship God kind of a fear. The fear here is phobia. That is, I'm afraid of God. That is, I'm afraid that I have not done enough for God to merit His forgiveness. Now, Paul then, in the first uh, seven and eight and a half chapters, he would contend, all that needs to be done to make you acceptable has been done by the blood of Jesus. The Spirit has set you free. Your record has been cleared. You've been justified. It's as if you've never sinned. When God looks upon you, He's at peace with you. He has no more bone to pick with you. There's no wrath upon you. There's no judgment upon you. You do not have to fear God. So, he says, this issue of fear really has turned into an issue of confidence. You can be confident before God. You can be at peace before God. God is okay with you. You can live in the house. There's no more phobia of God. Beloved, in the Greco-Roman world of the time, um, there were so many gods that dominated, of course, superstitiously over the citizens of the Greco-Roman world. And they were constantly in a phobia before these gods. If I wanted a harvest, I needed to please the gods. If I wanted a child, I needed to please the gods. And folk always wondered, have I done enough to please the gods? Is Zeus okay with me? Is Jupiter okay with me? Is Diana okay with me? Is Artemis okay with me? And so they lived in this constant fear and phobia of performance. So we call it performance spirituality. So Paul says, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Everything that makes you righteous before God has been fulfilled. So that fear of not measuring up, that fear of God still having a bone to pick with you, it is done. You can now be confident before God. You don't have to come into the house of God apologetic. Oh, I'm just not worthy to receive the Holy Spirit. I'm just not worthy to receive your, your, your grace or your wisdom. I'm just not worthy to, to, to be your favorite child. Paul says, that is done with. So we don't have to live the Christian life like the age, ancient Greco-Roman people did with just constant scrutiny of the self. It's all about me. Have I done enough? Have I failed? Is God going to get me? The word panic is the name of a god. Panyas. It's in an area called Banyas from the um, Islamic rendition of it. There's an area north in the, of the Sea of Galilee called Caesarea Philippi. And it's a, an occultic pagan center of that part of the world. And that's where you would go and worship these multiplicity of gods and you would bring offerings and you would sacrifice and you would do everything you can to appease the gods. And there was a goat man god. 
known as the God of Pan, P-A-N. And he would terrorize the girls. It's all superstition. But they developed a religion out of it. So there was this goat man, God, called Pan. And when the girls go to the woods, um, let's say to the bathroom, this God, Pan, would scare them. And so those girls would then come and prostitute themselves to men to appease the God, Pan. And that's where we get the word panic from. So fear comes into those girls. Then they have to go offer themselves. This is so-called, you know, their religion, the way they're thinking. And I tell you, the entire religious world is preoccupied with the fear of pleasing the gods. And here Paul comes, he's like, you don't have to fear. Although we worship and although we are reverent with God, we are not phobic of God. We don't strike a panic with God. Beloved, this is freedom. This is freedom. And this is one of the things I've enjoyed in my relationship with God, is I can approach boldly the throne of grace. I can live in the house, and if God wants to slaughter the fatted calf for you, then take the fatted calf and say, thank you, Lord. This whole thing where as believers, even as Christians, we're often wondering, have I done enough? It's because we don't understand all that has been done. The proper gospel has not been taught to me, or at least I've not read the proper gospel. So yeah, notice number one, no more slavery to God. No more fear before God. Go back to verse 15. He says, in addition to uh, freedom and in addition to confidence before God, furthermore, you've received the spirit of adoption. Furthermore, you've received the spirit of sonship. It's not just as though you are a kind of a number in the household of God. It's as though you've been made the very son of God. You're not just a slave. You're not just some person who's constantly in fear. You can actually, in the household of God, sit at the table. You can go to the refrigerator and open up the fridge. You're an heir. Whatever's in the fridge is yours. Praise the Lord. So here he says, you are now adopted. Um, as a Gentile, so to speak, you've been brought from the outside in. At one time you were an enemy of God. You were alienated from God. You were a prodigal distant from God. So in a way... Paul uses the imagery, you've been brought in. But beloved, listen to me. There is a greater image in the Bible regarding our nature, and it's that we are of the kind of God. See, when a person is adopted, um, if Winnie and I were to adopt another 
child, that child has the nature of another man and a woman. So in a way, the image is good. Uh, that child comes into my house and is now an heir of all that is in my house. But still, that child has the nature of another family. Does it make sense? But there's a greater image in our New Testament than adoption. And it's this Im image of sonship where I'm actually born of God. So here Paul says, yeah, we are adopted. We are brought in as outsiders, even as Gentiles. We're brought from the outside. But we know that Jesus speaks of the fact that we can be born of God. We can be of the very nature and kind of God, which is spirit. So, beloved, we at one time were alienated from God. We were at odds with God. We were distanced from God. But now we are adopted. We are brought in. But even more, we're not only adopted, we are born of God. So now we are the very sons and daughters with the DNA of God, which is a deeper image than just the image of adoption. I want you to uh, notice here in verse 15, we don't have the spirit of slavery. Instead, we really have the spirit of freedom. We, we don't fear God in the sense of a panic and a phobia. We, we're confident and bold and at ease with God. We can actually enjoy God. Then he says, we've received this spirit of sonship, this adoption, and, and we've been given the very nature of God. But now, look at verse 15. He says, by this freedom, by this confidence within us, by this one spirit within us, this new nature within us, we can now cry out, Abba, Father. Back in the day, all we could say was God. All that we could say was uh, Yahweh. But now... It's, it's a transition where we no longer just call God, God. We no longer just call God, Yahweh. Now we call God, Abba. So briefly, let me just um, reiterate what I mean here. The name of God, uh, uh, Eloha, or Elohim, as we say in Hebrew, just implies God that is the creator over everything. And that's often how we come to know God. We would say, oh God. And by that we just mean God that is over everything. God is the beginning of everything. God is the creator. So a lot of us know God only in that way. And you'll hear often people say, oh, you know, the man upstairs and, and, and God. And uh, Paul is trying to say here that for the man who is in the spirit... The man who is regenerated, uh, it goes deeper than just calling God the man upstairs or the boss. I've heard people call God the boss or um, the creator. If you're Jewish, a lot of folk just call him the creator. It goes deeper. Later on in the Bible, God reveals himself as Yahweh to Moses. 
He's not just creator God, but Yahweh, Yod, He, Vav, He means I am that I am. I'm the present God. I'm the personal God. I'm up close. I'm intimately acquainted. I'm the here and now God. Whatever you need me to be to you, I can be that to you. I am. And he revealed that to Moses. Initially, God is just sort of creator. Now God becomes very personal. He's with me and he's the covenant keeping God. And he can provide and be for me whatever I need. But here in Romans chapter 8, it's as though we go yet deeper in God. He's not just creator God. He's not just covenant God that provides and, and is close. But here, we say, God, you're my Abba. You're my Papa. Abba is the Chaldean Aramaic word for father. And here, in a way, Paul uses the word Abba, father, coupled together. Abba from Aramaic, uh, 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 father from uh, the Greek. And he uses these two words just doof, doof, next to each other to, to make this, I guess, intensification. We're not entirely sure why Paul put it together like this. He does it in the book of Galatians also. But I suppose Paul is trying to say that there's an intensity that we touch in the house of God, that maybe you don't touch just being a worshiper of God or even just a person who walks with God, who is Yahweh. Here, there's a tenderness. There's a, there's a heart relationship. And beloved, ever since I've met God, I have enjoyed calling Him my Father. I call on the name of Jesus. I use the word Jesus, the name Jesus, a lot. But I tell you, in my private life before God, and in my journals, yesterday I just sat a little bit and I read some of my old spiritual journals. Every single one, I was amazed, started with the phrase, my dad, my father, Abba. And I've really enjoyed this aspect because for me, God is not just creator God. He's not just covenant God legal God. Yahweh is not just the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses. And, but I enjoy this aspect of my Abba, my Father, God. And here, in this Abba phrase, I want you to see this aspect that Paul is really trying to highlight. You can only say Abba if you have the posture of a son. So he then shows you what life in the Spirit really is all about. It is a father and son relationship. So he talks here about we're no longer under slavery. The implication is we're free. We're no longer under fear and phobia. The implication is we have confidence. We can be bold. He talks here about we have been adopted. That is, we're no longer distant, alien, removed. We, we've come into the house. But here when he says, Abba, Father, 
and he couples it, and we may suppose here he's trying to, to intensely point this out to us. When he says, Abba, Father, he is trying to bring to the Roman reader's attention your relationship with this Almighty God, Yahweh, is now one of a father and a son. And then look here at verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And he's trying to sort of recalibrate us. We're not just the worshipers of God. We're not just the fearers of God. We are actually now coupled in a household familial relationship with God. So all you have to do now is study a father and a son relationship. And then you'll know how to live the spiritual life. Paul does not go into this whole sonship thing for too much. He just states it. But it's very obvious the implication. Notice how a father and a son interact. There is your spiritual life. Notice that the father is the one who provides. Notice that the father is the one who owns it all. Notice that the Father is the wise one. Notice that the Father is the, the caretaker, the protector. Notice that the Father is the teacher and the rabbi. Now notice that the Son is the recipient. Notice that it flows from the Father to the Son. Notice that the Son just needs to learn to receive. Notice that the Son just needs to learn to obey. So Paul doesn't state all of that, but the implication is very clear. Just observe... A proper, healthy interaction of a father and a son. And there is the Christian life for you. There is the spiritual life for you. And yes, he goes on. He says, there will be even something deeper that happens with you in the spiritual life. In verse 16, he says, the Spirit will confirm. The Spirit will Tie up within the core of your being a reality that you belong to God. And then furthermore, the Spirit will witness with you to such an extent that you can now be open-handed to all that the Father has for you. You are now an heir. So you don't have to have an orphan spirit. You don't have to have a questioning spirit. You don't have to have a spirit of fear and a poverty spirit. If you're an heir of God and an heir of Christ, and Paul would often use the word richness in association with God and with Christ, especially in the book of Ephesians, he talks a lot about the riches of God's grace. That makes you and I as the heir as the recipient, phenomenally wealthy. Paul would say in the book of Ephesians, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. You should have a jump in your step, a smile on your face. You should have confidence that you can live this life, that God will provide everything that you need according to the riches of His grace in Christ Jesus. So these are the kind of things now that Paul is trying to hint at. Your relationship now, because of all the legal things, is that of a father and a son. So a son does not boss the father around. 
The son does not interrogate the father. The son does not question his father and cross-examine his father. The son is very much at ease with his father, but a son knows that his father knows best. And the son learns to take the father's will. You do not have to look far in your Bible to find the proper relationship between a father and a son. All you have to do is turn to the life of Jesus Christ. Because in His life, you will see what a father and a son relationship looks like. And here Paul is trying to say, that relationship that Father and the Lord Jesus had with one another, that is now your inheritance you get to hear the speaking of God, the leading of God. You get to experience the filling of God the same way Jesus did. So as He walked with the Father, you can expect that intimacy, that up-close and personal provision and teaching and guidance, whatever the Father did for the Son, you can expect that from your Father. And oh, by the way, that son suffered and you might even be called on to suffer also and he goes into that in the very next verse because whom the father loves he even disciplines and that is the suffering that paul will go into but you'll see here the discipline has got nothing to do with being qualified to come into the house. The discipline is not for righteousness, for justification, for your sins forgiven. The discipline is training. The discipline is training how to steward the Father's affairs, how to steward the Father's economy. And that suffering is not God beating you, God punishing you. That suffering really is training in disguise.